Welcome to the Battleground Wisconsin. My name is Matt Brusky and I am the Deputy Director here at Citizen Action of Wisconsin. And welcome to another week from <laughs> crazy Wisconsin. We are glad to have our full panel, which means Claire Zauke, our Healthcare Director, is with us. Claire, good to have you. Thanks, Matt. Good to be here. And Claire is, of course, at home, like we all are. We are safe, socially distancing. And Robert Craig is also socially distancing in his home. Robert, good to have you this week. Uh, welcome to both our digital and our radio listeners. And for Alexa listeners, you can be an Alexa listener by saying, Alexa, play Battleground Wisconsin podcast. I have done that. We come right up, recommend it. So, with that, we are going to jump right in. We have a big show for you. We're going to talk a lot about COVID. We're going to spend essentially uh, three segments uh, talking about COVID. We're going to talk about what's been going on, Evers extending his mask ordinance, legislation being introduced. But we're also going to talk about what happens when there's a failure of leadership at the federal and state level and what that means to local officials, both in people operating in schools and also what we're seeing to officials trying to mitigate this at their local level since very little has been done. But we'll talk about that later. We're going to get started right away talking about the election. Very important. Uh, this week, uh, it has been decided, the Trump uh, campaign has decided that they are going to seek a recount uh, in only two counties, Milwaukee and Dane County. So obviously, we know how absurd that seems on the surface. Uh, that will cost them about $3 million. So uh, classic Trump, he's uh, going to cut the budget a little bit here, but uh, we're going to have a full recount. Uh, and like most experts expect, very little will change. But we are going to get started with our first guest because last night, the Wisconsin Election Commission met to essentially set up and uh, establish the recount, which they did. In the end, they did. But it was a complete, it was, I mean, it was a show to be blunt. And uh, our first guest is here to tell us a little bit more about that from his perspective. Uh, he is a commissioner on the election commission. That is Mark Thompson. He is also uh, the president of Citizen Action. We're really glad to have Mark Thompson with us. Thank you for joining us. Can you please tell us what happened uh, last night with the election commission? Sure. Good morning. You know, the, the petition itself, and for folks out there listening, if you, have, you want to read something fascinating, go ahead and read it. Because the first thing President Trump says is that clerks in every county, hear that, clerks in every county of this state counted illegal votes. And it was an astounding attack on democracy in Wisconsin. Because what they're, they're, they're really saying is that, you know, and these rules that they're attacking, they're saying illegal, were the rules put in place in October of 2016 before uh, President Trump won his first election. And I, I want to say, I was the, the chair of the commission at the time. And at the time the recount was asked for by Jill Stein, I said on World Press that we're going to show that there's no fraud in Wisconsin and that uh, President Trump won. And there were 131 votes added statewide. Now, this petition isn't asking us to do a recount like we did in 2016. 
it's fundamentally different. This recount is alleging that clerks everywhere in the state conducted illegal activity, but they're only asking for a recount in two, two counties, Dane County and Milwaukee County. And I live in Milwaukee. This is a, a major attack on these two urban areas and two urban areas where the African-American minority vote is significantly impacted. And what they're saying is that votes, and this is where they're going at legally, and it's designed to go to the Wisconsin Supreme Court. They are saying that if a witness to an absentee ballot had a clerk complete that address, that that's an illegal ballot. Even though in 2016, Attorney General Schimmel, a Republican, said that's a valid ballot, right? And I, I want everybody listening. Chief Rogensack recently said, right? She recently said, we're going to count every ballot. Every voter's ballot is going to be counted. Now, this recount is different because it's trying to take out a bunch of ballots before they're counted on the recount. Because if they did it, if they ran the recount like we did in 2016 on the same set of rules, they know that they would lose because you can't win. You can't, I mean, it's just, you know, the Republicans set it up. I mean, that's why they have to pay for it, right? He has to pay for it because the margin is too great. Everyone that knows recounts knows you can't flip it. So the only way to flip it is to say that votes that were legal in 2016 and in 2018 and in April of this year and in August of this year are no longer legal November. Just seems preposterous on its surface, Mark. It is, but this is what, this is it. And I've said this, right? Donald Trump won the Super Bowl of elections in 2016. He lost the Super Bowl of elections in 2020 and he wants to change the rules on some plays so he can say he won, okay? He lost fair and square. Now they can't win fair and square, so now they want to take out of the recount ballots that have been counted in every other county this way and in every election for 11 years. Now that is a very, very different recount. And everyone listening, watch, Right now, it's the time to watch and watch the legal challenges because they are trying to change the rules after the game is over. Mark, what would you suggest if you're listening and you're hearing this or you woke up this morning and read the Cap Times or the Journal Sentinel or saw the, the local news, which, I mean, put all this out there. What, what should people do to try to respond or help support protecting basic democracy here in the state? I mean, number one is there are gonna be recounts with a lot of scrutiny, a lot of pressure. People that are signed up, get your training, go help with the recount. And uh, you know, the, I believe the, the counties, Milwaukee and Dane are gonna follow the law. And the law, it says we do the rules like we did in 2016. And the only way the recount changes if they change what the law is or what the rules are. And so everybody needs to be watching that process. 
Now, I think the other thing that's very important for folks listening and for members of Citizen Action in particular is that the allegation by Trump that there's clerk activity all over the state that's illegal has to be countered. Look, we have a long, long, long history of trusting our clerks and the people in our neighbors that count votes. And to insert in this equation that somehow everybody is conducting illegal activity, but they only want to recount in Milwaukee and Dane County. I mean, they are intentionally trying to divide the state more than it's already divided. They want to blow up the love of the, the, the country for the city and the city for the country. And they want to drive a further wedge between white folks and folks of color. To me, we have what, 94,000 people around the state that can't get their unemployment checks, right? There are, those are white folks, poor folks, black folks, Latino folks, people on the front lines. The best thing that we can do politically is demand that the state leadership go solve those problems and build unity by taking care of people across the state. You know, the election process will go through. It's not the time yet to protest, right? Right now it's to do the recount. If they do the recount like we did it in 2016, we will win. So quick question, Mark. It seems to me you're a careful lawyer. I want your opinion that there's no consistent legal theory involved here, that they're just figuring out what could shift votes in one direction. And in a future election, if this let to stand, they could simply change the theory, whatever benefits their side. I mean, I don't see any kind of legal philosophy involved here at all. It's simply trying to, to intervene in election to, 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 to rig the outcome after the fact. Look, the legal philosophy is to say that the votes that were legal in 2016 are illegal in 2020. I mean, the logic is that President Trump won an illegal election in 2016, right? Because the clerks did the same thing in 2016 that they did in 2020. So this is a bait and switch. And this is designed as a technical legal argument. But its guise is to say that somehow folks in Milwaukee and Dane County can't be trusted. Look, I sat on a, that commission meeting last night was the first time that Dean Knutson said out loud, you can't trust people in Milwaukee County and, and Dane County. I mean, you know, what do you mean you can't trust Crazy. my neighbors? You know, Unbelievable, unbelievable statement. And that's not it, Mark. He also implied that he'd be willing to throw out all the absentee ballots that were requested through the Wisconsin Election Commission site, which he's a commissioner of. The site he is, you know, the the you know member of. He's saying his own site screwed up so badly all those ballots that they should I mean, be valid. It's appalling. It's appalling. I, I was listening very carefully to that. Right? He <laughs> helped. He helped design that system. It's crazy. We put, we put millions of dollars into that system to make the system easy to use in the modern era, to facilitate a, you know, a timely, easy election, to make it easy to vote if you're out in the country, right? Or anywhere. I mean, you go online and you click and you request your ballot. This is the, fair enough, but it is. Look, at if that means, if that's illegal, then we don't have a system, my vote place, 
system in place for 2022 as designed. Mark, we greatly appreciate your leadership on the election commission. And of course, uh, here at Citizen Action, we appreciate you took the time this morning. We know you're very busy uh, to talk with us and provide uh, this information for our listeners. Thank you so much. Thank you all. We can't do it without you folks. Appreciate it. Watch for more information online, uh, but uh, we want to thank uh, Mark Thompson for joining us. But with that, we got to take a break. You're listening to the Battleground, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the Battleground, Wisconsin. Again, we're Citizen Action. You can find us at citizenactionwi.org. All right, we are going to change topics away from a crazy election state here to talking about COVID-19. It just, I mean, I don't know, Claire, every, every show I keep saying it's getting worse and it's not getting any better. Um, the big news, there's actually a lot of big news in addition to uh, record death rates occurring daily rate this week. We had a record infection rate just yesterday. We're almost at 8,000. Who knows? We record on Thursday. We may break that today. Um, I think our infection rates are at like 30% of those tested. Uh, Claire, this week, Governor Evers extended the mask mandate into well into Ju- uh, January of 2021. And he also introduced some legislation. Want to get your thoughts uh, first on the mask mandate, but then uh, uh, get, get the panel's uh, thoughts on uh, his legislation that he introduced. Claire. I think the mask mandate is incredibly important, not because it is being uniformly enforced across the state. Um, we know that law enforcement um, officers and sheriffs around the state have declined to enforce it. Um, but I think it's important because it is signaling from the governor that it is important to maintain this culture of mask wearing that has um, really taken hold. Um, and I, I know it may not uniformly again have taken hold across the state, but I, I think there is a culture of uh, mask wearing now. And that's really important because we have been saying for um, pretty much the length of this pandemic that um, that you know, community pressure is really what was going to um, make people um, adhere to mask wearing. Robert. I agree on the mask wearing, but there's not enough of it happening. And so I think, I think, you know, it's in court, it's being, there's going to be more lawsuits about whether the governor can declare another public health emergency, uh, even though this is ongoing and much longer than your typical public health emergency. Uh, So it's good. It's certainly a lot better than nothing and better what the Republicans are doing. Uh, but we have situations where in, in Milwaukee, they're going to start having the police follow the public health people because they're being threatened when they go in and try to enforce the mask mandate. That happened at Serb Hall, a very famous location in Milwaukee this week. And there's massive noncompliance in large parts of the state. So we should have it, but we haven't set up the norm partly because of the uh, murderous disinformation coming from right-wing media and radical right politicians. Uh, but I think we need to go further. And I don't—I want to say it's glass half full. So kudos to Tony Evers for doing something, recognizing the emergency, doing one of the most obvious things. But what are we doing on schools? What are we really doing on restaurants and bars? And we've said they, those owners and, and employees should be made whole, which also we should be doing. But then look at places like Oregon, 
where they are saying that you cannot have any indoor gathering, including personal, that's over five people. That is actually following science. So I would like to see, as I say, Governor Evers to go further and actually follow the science and lay out what should happen, regardless of whether Republicans will do it or not, regardless what the Supreme Court does, because the public needs to know what is scientifically directed. Claire, your thoughts on uh, looking at other states like Oregon and, and you know, whether, I mean, obviously, it, just get your thoughts on, on Robert's comments. Yeah, the uh, the New York Times put out a um, today's so recording on Thursday. So um, when depending on when you listen to this, um, put out a couple days ago or today, a um, tracker that showed the correlation between states that um, have had greater and more sustained restrictions and the um, relationship between uh, that and the uh, number of cases and surges. And, um, you know, in, in academia, we like to say, you know, correlation does not always equal um, causation, but in some cases it does. And in this case, it really showed how um, states that held on to their restrictions longer have been able to stave off the type of massive spikes in cases that you are seeing in states like um, Wisconsin and the Dakotas, for example. Um, so everything that Robert's saying is is absolutely accurate and it's all backed up by data. It's also um, not anything that is new or surprising to our listeners, I'm sure. Um, right away, and Claire, maybe you first or Robert, um, also wanted comment on uh, Governor Evers introducing legislation this week and to try to ramp up our response. Uh, it is also worth noting, literally like within an hour, uh, Speaker Voss suggested that uh, the Republicans would be also releasing their, their COVID response. And uh, he had a presser that he released absolutely nothing. They do not have any plans. They are just talking about wanting to sit down and talk with Evers. But uh, Claire, obviously that's a lot of much of the same, but I uh, wanted to get your thoughts on what uh, the governor's proposing. Yeah, so what the governor's proposing is, is, is a good start. It's a good um, amount of legislation that is going to um, help some people, especially people who need the most help, get through this pandemic. It is not a bill that is going to help um, like slow the pandemic necessarily, right? So there are some some good things in there that we like and that we've been calling for since the beginning of the pandemic and that were in the governor's original bill back in, what was it, March or April that went to the legislature that they, that they took out the one time they came into session six months ago. Um, so things like um, blocking insurers from requiring patients to um, cover parts of costs for treatments for um, COVID or getting requiring them to get prior auth authorization before getting treatment for COVID, um, requiring, requiring insurers to cover um, COVID uh, testing treatment, prescriptions, vaccines, um, and eliminating some cost sharing, um, things like that that, we, that we've been calling for um, and, and really like. Um, but there's um, some new things in there as well that we like, such as um, authorizing DHS to um, implement an eviction moratorium, uh, which is important. Um, we know that the CDC issued something similar earlier, but it's, it's good to have those protections at the state level as well. Um, but there's a but again, those are things that are a good start, um, but it doesn't really solve a lot of problems yet. And we need 
uh, more. Um, so for example, take the evictions moratorium, people are still gonna be gathering back rent. So you know, it'd be good if we could get an appropriation in there that says, yeah, you can't be evicted, but because you've been unemployed, here's a pot of money that you could apply to to um, help cover back rent so it doesn't all come due and you get evicted You know, come January 2022, for example. Um, there's also not things in there that are gonna um, actually slow the stem of, or the spread of COVID. So things like, we need a massive infusion of money um, to, for into like contact tracers. And um, you know, we need, um, bans on large gatherings and super spreader type events, which I know Robert is going to talk about after me because he has a lot to say about that um, and an interesting study out of Northwestern. So, so maybe Robert, I'll pitch it to you for that. Uh, Claire's right on. Look, we're at the heat of this. The next four months are going to be awful. And our numbers, I won't even, they're off the charts bad and scary. And so what you have a choice of with Wisconsin is one side that is actually harming the situation, undermine the social norm of social distancing and masking and, uh, and not having big indoor gatherings and going to court, not having anything to, to offer themselves, not even being in session most of this crisis, et cetera, et cetera. So Governor Evers looks like a, like a knight, a, a white knight comparatively. And of course, I think the most important thing is the eviction part, because although Claire pointed out there's this CDC rule, it's so complicated that it's being violated all over the place. And eviction judges, housing judges, are approving evictions when you're not supposed to have evictions. So anything he can do in state legislation, fantastic. But you have to get with, deal with the debt, too, or just homelessness de delayed until uh, the pandemic slows down. Uh, but we really need to, I mean, this is like looking at a World War II response where one side is doing enough to slow uh, the Nazi armies down a little, but not defeat them. And one side is actually aiding and abetting them. I mean, that it, since we use a World War II analogy, it's imperfect. That is what it's like. And so what are we doing on the fact that Northwestern study that Claire mentioned is, fanta is fantastically interesting because through cell phone data, it shows where the spreading is occurring. And so it is indoor dining, it is indoor bars, and it is gyms. Now there is a correlation to hotels. Uh, uh, Claire as a trained public policy person made a good important relate, uh, note about correlation versus causation, but we don't know that's happening in the hotel. People will be staying in hotels and then going to indoor restaurants. So it does not prove though if a hotel has a, a wedding, or some big social gathering, then of course that would be a super spreader event, and we've seen that. Or, um, and then religious gatherings as well, in-person ones. My church has not been uh, in-person. It, it, it sucks, but we've not been in-person since uh, March, and shouldn't be. And so you should shut those things down, and as Claire and I and Matt have been saying, yes, make the owners whole. That's an appropriation, okay? And take the badge care money, that's $250 million at least, probably more. Look at the billion dollars a year in, ta in tax giveaways with nothing in return to big corporations in Wisconsin done by Walker. Reverse that and fund these things. Yeah, I'm not saying that, that every restaurant owner and every restaurant employee should be in poverty and should lose everything because of this, but we need to close indoor dining and we need to close gyms 
and we and same with gym owners and we do and we need to close indoor bars and i i need to close you down we got to go take a break robert uh uh totally agree with that though we will continue to talk about covid uh in the next two segments you're listening to the battleground wisconsin we're citizen action you can find us at citizenactionwi.org Welcome back to the Battleground Wisconsin. Again, we're Citizen Action. You can find us at citizenactionwi.org. We are very fortunate uh, to have another guest. Uh, we are joined by Angelina Cruz. Angelina is the president of the Racine Education Association. Angelina, thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. So we have you on today because we've been talking a lot about uh, schools and how are we responding uh, to whether schools should be open in person and the fact that there really hasn't been a state strategy. And uh, this week, we sent a letter uh, to Governor Evers' administration and really encouraging and urging for much stronger standards uh, about how to handle this so it's not left to every individual district uh, and you were a part of that could you uh, first of all thanks a lot for being here and tell us more about why this uh, why you feel so importantly and why uh, you all sent this letter this week yeah so I think um, I mean what you introed with in terms of there being no uniform uh, approach whether we're talking about the federal level or the state level um, to dealing with the widespread um, COVID-19. The numbers are spiking in Wisconsin. We, are, we have the third highest infection rate in the nation. And so from um, the perspective of WIAC and local leaders, uh, the sort of patchwork approach of letting every local, uh, help, every local municipality determining uh, how to proceed is not effective. So we've tried it, it's not working. Um, and we need some more guidance from, um, from DHS specifically in terms of what WEAC asked for and outlined in the pretty detailed letter sent to the governor um, was a request for gating criteria, uniform gating criteria for the entire state of Wisconsin as it relates to uh, returning to schools um, to give people some guidance. Um, and so I, you know, I was part of the team that's been, you know, working on that. Um, I'm also one, uh, the president of one of the big five urban locals. Um, and that's something we too um, have been pushing since the summer um, as urban locals. I think, uh, you know, logically speaking, being located in, um, in cities and urban, urban areas, uh, our considerations were a little different than maybe rural areas, but I think now that argument can't even be made anymore uh, because the spread is completely unmitigated. Um, it, it's kind of breathtaking to think that we have the third highest infection rate in the nation and we still don't have any willingness at the state level to, to lead us through this crisis. Um, from, from my personal perspective, state leadership has completely abdicated any of their responsibilities to the citizens of Wisconsin. And I, I strongly believe that it's time for us as citizens to start calling them out on it. Um, people are getting sick and people are dying at a breathtaking clip. So um, it's completely unacceptable. And I'm proud, I'm proud of WEAC for, for stepping out and calling on 
Governor Evers and DHS, um, Andrea Palm, to do something. Robert? So, yeah, and Ludwig, you said it was a detailed letter. That's an understatement. It's almost a research report. It's really good. It's scathing without one scathing or hot word because it just lays out the facts. Mm -hmm. And what it shows is, first of all, the Department of Health Services Secretary, Acting Secretary Palm, they won't confirm any of uh, Governor Evers' appointment scandalously, uh, has the power to set the criterion. She also, the Supreme Court said that in the decision throwing out the uh, safer at home order. They also have the authority simply to say clearly what the standards are, put them on the DHS website so that local leaders, teachers, school boards, everyone else, school administrators have clear standards to go with. And they've advocated that as well. And so what's happening is they say public health departments should do it. And half the public health departments haven't even done it. So in half the state, there's no guidance, roughly half. I think it's a, it's a, it is a slightly different number, but it's in that range. And then even in some cases, when they, uh, when they have done it, schools are ignoring them. And, what, and so it's all over the map. It's unsafe. It's actually asking, there's all this idea, debate whether, whether kids get COVID, whether they're spreading it. We now know they do. There are at least 100,000 documented cases. Uh, but think about all of the administrators, the educators, the support staff, who are not well paid or treated well as professionals. Uh, to say what you're supposed to sacrifice you and your family and so you can't even put out clear standards I can't see this as anything you don't have to comment on this if you don't want to other than politically ducking because it might be unpopular your responsibility I don't see any rationale that if the CDC the Trump CDC is going to advocate its responsibility why DHS isn't stepping up I think they should have standards but on the very least lay out what is safe my, my brother in the Chicago area had been, for, been forced to teach until recently in person and go into school every day. And he lives with my over 80-year-old mother. So what we're saying is, is that he, for a teacher's salary, and he has 25 years in, but it's not a princely salary for what professionals should be paid, as you well know, is supposed to sacrifice our mother because they don't even want to follow the science. And Governor Evers says he's following the science that this letter lays out, well, if you're following the science, you need to have a very different policy on this. So I want to get your reaction. Uh, oh, I agree with that 100%. I think um, I, be, even being, I can't, I empathize with how difficult it is to lead through this crisis. Um, even just being a local leader, it's, within the context that many 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 people do not believe that this is a real thing as it is um but those of us that believe in in science and the math of like how this thing is is spreading um we need to own that and we need to step into our leadership positions um whether or not people agree or disagree um we've got I don't remember, 12 pages of facts rooted in science and the spread of the virus. Um, that's, that's the guidance that you need to be led by, not people's feelings necessarily. I know it's hard, um, especially as a teacher, what I keep telling people is, of course we wanna be in the classroom. They're, like that is our natural habitat. And so 
And so to say that we we are trying to keep people out of buildings so they don't have to, to work, number one, teachers are working really hard right now, remotely and safely. Um, but this whole narrative that we don't want to be in our classrooms is completely asinine. Um, I think also when we're leaving these individual communities out on a limb, and I just, so the city of Racine Health Department stepped forward and did the right thing um, and, and is closing our school buildings from November 27th to January 15th to really try to mitigate any spread that happens over the holidays. Because we know people are going to be irresponsible. We know that. Um, so what's the best way we can and let me just add to that, Angelina, that Kenosha, they claim local conditions, which is a similar urban area just in the south of Racine, is not doing the right thing. So the idea that they're adapting to local conditions is also disproven in this letter. Right. And so thankfully, their school board um, stepped up and, and decided to move everything virtually um, as of this, this week, Tuesday. Um, and so uh, Racine and Kenosha leadership, uh, union leadership, are are looking to Milwaukee now. Because from my perspective, Milwaukee, Racine, Kenosha, this whole southeast corridor of the state, we are all one big community, whether whether people like it or not, but we live and we play in each other's communities. And so Racine doing the right thing is great, but I don't know how helpful it's going to be if Milwaukee Health Department doesn't step up and do the right thing. Thankfully, Kenosha has already stepped up. The school district has stepped up and done the right thing. Um, so I'm really looking for for leadership in Milwaukee, um, and and I, you know, I believe they know know what the right thing to do is. They just need to find the courage to step up and do it and keep people safe. Claire, thanks, um, Angelina. I, I know we only have a couple minutes left, so I was wondering if you if you just have a, a story or an experience that you've heard from a teacher anywhere around the state lately that's really stuck with you, if you had a, um, you know, a, a, last, a last message or something that you want us to know that's like, this is what it's like to be a teacher right now. And um, I'm a big believer in people's stories being powerful and um, powerful change agents as well for, for moving hearts and minds. Thank you for the opportunity to talk about that, because I think it's really um, important for people to understand how hard teachers are working right now. Um, so it's it, in my school district, they're essentially treating it as like a regular, <laughs> just regular old schedule, regular day. Um, but what people are not understanding is that people, um, people, teachers are having to translate all of what they normally teach to a virtual environment. Um, and that's pretty, that's that's double the work of what they're normally doing. I think we're transitioning to where it's getting easier because they're figuring, as teachers often do, tricks out and, and giving each other tips. Um, but it's, uh, I think the most difficult thing for, for my members um, is that it's very difficult to build relationships through a screen. And that's probably 90% of our job, right, is building our relationships with, with our kids. But they're doing a wonderful job. I hear feedback from, from the community and from our administration about how, um, how pleased they are with everything that our teachers are doing. So, Well, Angelina, we really want to thank you for taking the time to come on and, and talk to us about the, the work you're trying to do to right, encourage leadership to make sure that we have safe schools for everyone. Um, again, really appreciate you. Again, Angelina Cruz, president of the Racine Education Association. Thank you so much for joining us. 
Thank you all. With that, we have to take a break. You're listening to the Battleground Wisconsin. We're Citizen Action. Welcome back to the Battleground Wisconsin. We're Citizen Action. We are course, very thankful to Angelina Cruz, president of the Racine Education Association for joining us in the previous segment. We really want to encourage our listeners, feel free to reach out to the governor's office and encourage uh, the governor's office, also secretary-designate Palm's office, that, uh, uh, that they should lead on this. But with that, uh, we are going to spend some time talking a little bit more about COVID. Um, one of the things that uh, is really, and it played out here with Angelina in the previous segment, is because of the lack of guidance and uh, the dysfunction, not only at the federal level, but what we've seen at the state level, uh, local officials have been having to step up and uh, lead in this area. And this has led to a lot of folks getting threatened. Uh, And Claire, I know we've talked before about this. This is something that from the very, very beginning of this, you felt was going to be a critical piece. And that was local officials, pressure on local health folks um, to to step up and actually uh, do the right thing in terms of protecting public health. Uh, And that's kind of the situation we've been in. Um, Your thoughts? Local health departments, um, even at the legislature, were being um, remotely active or um, behaving remotely responsible, uh, would still be important folks because they would be responsible for, um, as as trusted local representatives in charge of public health, um, local public health officials would be responsible for enforcing um, a lot of state rules, establishing uh, local rules uh, through the authority granted to them by the state, um, and that they they were going to be on the ground closest um, to the people in the community, seeing uh, people's behavior and being able to react in real time. So I've, I've we've always said that local health officials were going to be important, um, and that they were uh, doubly or triply important uh, because of the abdication of responsibility from the legislature, um, and so. Uh, we've known for a while that it was going to be important for us to um, to have our local health officials' backs and to say, you know, we support you looking out for us and doing your job, even though people are going to make it hard for you. Um, and and that was something that happened uh, really early on. Um, but I think we've, at least I I know I have backed away from a little bit, saying, um, you know, we should show some love to these folks. Um, and, and now I think we are seeing a um, resurgence in opposition to orders from local health officials, and we're going to need to start ramping up that support for them again, especially as they start making decisions that might be unpopular for some folks, like Dane County, for example, um, this past week banned um, indoor gatherings and limited the size of um, outdoor gatherings as well. So like as things like that start to roll out, we're going to have to be more vocally supportive of those restrictions. And just to be clear, folks, uh, the, fo- the, the local leaders that are stepping up and, and trying to support smart public health measures are getting, you know, pushback and in some cases uh, threats. Uh, Citizen Action member and uh, mayor of Wausau, Katie Rosenberg, this week uh, talked about it in an article that um, all their city council did 
was pass a recommendation that people wear masks in public. It didn't even have, you know, the authority of what Governor Evers did. It was just to try to set, as you talked about, Claire, you know, encourage and you set the right sort of standards or leadership. She talked about the fact that um, people showed up and threatened uh, over this, and she received threatening calls over this stuff. It's just unbelievable. This week, too, even, um, I think it was St. Croix County, they couldn't even pass an ordinance uh, recommending mask wearing. It's it's unbelievable, Robert. Look, this is all very disturbing. Uh, Local health departments we're never meant to make these decisions independently. We're supposed to have a functioning CDC setting guidelines, then a, then, a, then a Department of Health Services setting strong guidelines, and we don't fund public health this way. Not only do we underfund public health nationally, but we, in Wisconsin, I believe we were 48th, roughly, might be 47th or 49th in the country in public health spending leading into this. and. It was underfunded by Democrats and Republicans, by Governor Walker and Thompson and Governors Doyle and Evers. And so that's probably one of the reasons we have such a high infection rate, If because in some states they've backstopped the CDC. We really haven't done nearly enough. There is no reason DHS can't set up what CDC should set up, clear standards of guidance for every public health department, every person in the state on the website. There is no reason, there is no ability of the Supreme Court or anyone else to stop that. They've chosen not to, and I do not, for the life of me, understand it. But I'll just say this. I feel like, because I've told, been told by some listeners, I've been pretty worked up and hot uh, last couple of battleground Wisconsin's. If we take a step back on this. I think that the callousness we're seeing, you see horrendous callousness on the right and the right wing that's taken over the Republican Party. But you see an indifference among a lot of establishment Democrats where they're doing something but not nearly enough. And I think ethically, it probably it goes back to the fact of how many things in this society we've just let pass, like racial inequality, like police killing, like people going without health care like deciding politically we should deform welfare and throw uh, poor people off coverage when they have no access to a job, I mean, off their, their supports, cuts in food stamps, everything else, and refusal to invest. Let college education become totally unaffordable, like you're buying a luxury car or worse, multiple luxury cars. And so I think that's built into our society. And I think it's like some of those eloquent things about the Holocaust that people found that once they said, it's okay, it's not me, eventually it becomes you. And this has to do with getting a deeper level of empathy that we need to actually have a just society and do the structural reform we need. So I'm just amazed at the level of indifference and callousness all across the board. Democrats are way better than Republicans, but not nearly good enough. Robert, it is worth pointing out this week, Chris Kapenga is much said that they knew that COVID was going to get worse and that it would spike and that they just wanted it to work its way out through, through the state, essentially. That's what he said this week. It's pretty appalling. Um, and, it, it, you know, it's not Katie Rosenberg alone, Kate Beaton, also Citizen Action Co-op member and council member who had a, uh, a vote in Eau Claire receiving 
threatening calls, right? So this callousness, uh, it's got to change. Uh, but with that, though, before we go, I do want to give both of you an opportunity to uh, uh, comment on our annual fundraiser last night. I want to give a thanks to everyone who attended, and we had great attendance on uh, for both uh, Lieutenant Governor Mandela Barnes and U.S. Senator Tammy Baldwin. We were also joined by Emily Segrist, our co-op member who ran for state assembly. Um, Claire, any any thoughts you have or takeaways from what was a was a great conversation with uh, with both the Lieutenant Governor and uh, Tammy Baldwin? Oh, it was a wonderful event. We had a great crowd in the audience. Um, the conversation flowed really well. It was a really, really engaging night. And um, from a healthcare advocate perspective, I really enjoyed the conversation between Robert and Senator Baldwin. Uh, you know, Tammy's just wonderful. And she spoke with such... Um, passion and compassion and authority about the importance of, um, you know, not only getting the pandemic under control, but um, about the importance of, of things like prescription drug reform, um, about the need for um, the government to regulate drug prices, um, about sharing our, uh, what we say, North Star vision um, of, of healthcare being a human right and needing to have a, um, a healthcare system that is uh, that meets that need uh, or is building towards that um, and, uh, and in support of our overall strategy of pursuing that North Star vision um, while also, um, you know, getting on board with stepping stone policies like public option as we work our way towards Medicare for all. Um, so it was, it was just a, a really wonderfully engaging uh, evening. Yeah, I, I completely agree with Claire. We were very, you know, anxious about the event. We'd never done a virtual fundraiser event like this. And then we did a lot of planning, but we were also right after the election. So it was hard. So we pulled it off. Uh, the conversation with Senator Baldwin was tremendous. The conversation Raphael Smith and I had, our climate equity director with Lieutenant Governor Mandel Barnes on climate and racial equity was, I think, fantastic. And I'm biased. That was in the conversation, but I thought it was fantastic. And then I thought, um, I thought, of course, Emily Segrist as a representative of all the great progressive champions that we work with to run uh, for state legislature. She's a member. We had a lot of members. We have other champions who are not members that we became close with in this election. And then also uh, George Gale, the uh, head of National People's Action, did an absolutely tremendous job laying out what's revolutionary about the political program, the deep canvas we ran and other people's action partners in other states uh, across the country ran. And with that, we have got to wrap up this Battleground Wisconsin. We want to thank our guests, Mark Thompson and Angelina Cruz for joining us. Uh, and also always want to thank our producer, Brian Wildrich. Tough week for Brian, had to put on our fundraiser and and turn around this morning and do another podcast. We appreciate you, Brian. And we'll see you all next week here at the Battleground, Wisconsin.